Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Natalie Moore, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. We made it to Friday. Before you tune out for the weekend, let's get you caught up on the week's big stories. Coming up on the recap, the first day of classes for Chicago public schools is Monday. With the exception of this year, CPS has historically started after Labor Day. CTA may be getting some improvements. Federal government is giving the CTA $29 million to help upgrade the city's fleet to all electric buses. R. Kelly is on trial again for child pornography charges. Day three of R. Kelly's federal trial is heating up. Prosecutors immediately detailing what they called R. Kelly's hidden side, a dark side. And politicians are campaigning hard at the Illinois State Fair. The State Fair signals the kickoff of the primary election season. Here to take us behind the headlines is our panel, WTTW Chicago politics reporter Heather Sharon, WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp, and Chicago Tribune investigative reporter Ray Long. Let's start with the State Fair. Lots of people were in Springfield this week for the funnel cakes, Ferris wheels, and the 700-pound butter cow sculpture. But it wasn't all fun and games at the Illinois State Fair. Some people had other priorities, including Governor J.B. Pritzker. Are you ready for the fight? Are you ready for the fight, Democrats? Let's go get them! Ray, tell us about this political tradition. This is just one where this is where all the party faith will come in two days a week during the Illinois State Fair. And uh, one is Governor's Day. This would be Democrat Day this year because the yeah, Pritzker is obviously a Democrat and he's pushing uh, his whole uh, agenda. And he says, uh, you know, stay with the party of sanity because the Republicans are going off the rails in many places. And in the Republican side, Darren Bailey, the GOP nominee, uh, is saying, once again, Chicago is a hellhole. And he is uh, uh, pushing that strategy. I'm not sure if it's a good one here, if he's trying to get into Uh, suburban Chicago. It just doesn't seem like it's going to resonate as well as he thinks it is, but he's sticking with it, and and, uh, that's the way it has wound up there. This is one of these days and traditions where hundreds and hundreds of people from both parties will show up, and they go out on the uh, director uh, lawn, and they uh, party down and shout it up, and it's a good, it's this closest thing to an old traditional good time uh, rally Mm -hmm. that you can have. Heather, what were some of the takeaways for you? Well, it's interesting because there was a lot of attention paid to the fact that the Democratic Party in Illinois just ousted its former leader, U.S. Representative Robin Kelly. She was ousted by uh, State Rep. Elizabeth Lisa Hernandez, who was Governor J.B. Pritzker's pick to lead the party. So there was a lot of ink spilled about were the Democrats united? Was that division going to impact what happens in November? And then all of of a sudden on, on the Republicans, 
Wednesday, you had people running for statewide office on the Republican ticket, not clearly endorsing Darren Bailey, who, of course, is the GOP nomination for governor. So I think if you want to have a conversation about which party is more united, that was really striking to me because you had, you know, everybody just up and down the ticket saying, well, yes, I I support Republicans. Do you support Darren Bailey? I support Republicans, which I think is going to be a real issue as we get closer to November. And Governor Pritzker continues to hammer on the theme of, you know, a coalition of the, the sane against the lunatic fringe. And when Darren Bailey says things like Chicago is a hellhole, that only makes the governor's point for him. I don't know if this was at the state fair, but I saw, oh, I forget who was running, which GOP was running for an office. And they said, do you support? He's like, I, and he said, I support myself. Yes. <laughs> I mean, facts, right? You know, yeah, you got to really you got to really wonder. And you really are testing everybody against the other people's view of what Darren Bailey is, because he's a lightning rod at this point. He's the guy that has said uh, that uh, the Holocaust pales com- in comparison to the, all of the abortions ac- across the the country and in Illinois, et cetera. And uh, his positions are not necessarily mainstream America. So we talked about Pritzker calling the Democrats the, quote, coalition of the sane. But Democratic candidate for Secretary of State Alexei Janoulias had something similar to say. If you look at who's winning these primaries on the Republican side, they are crazy as hell and they are saying <laughs> and doing the craziest stuff ever imaginable. And my fear, if these individuals get elected, we're going to be seeing January 6th on a weekly basis. Heather, will, will we be hearing about January, January 6th on a weekly basis here in Illinois? I think we will. And I think there are good reasons for that. Um, you know, a person who was present on January 6th at the Capitol is, in, is deeply involved in Darren Bailey's campaign. Darren Bailey has given sort of differing explanations as, as to whether or not President Joe Biden was freely and fairly elected. Spoiler alert, he was. You know, earlier during the primary, he was sort of you know, noncommittally assured that, you know, he said there he was certain there was fraud. Now he's saying that, you know, the constitutional process was followed and that Joe Biden is properly president. I think that's a very, you know, that sort of leaves just it's not even a door. It's a, a sliding glass patio door for Democrats to sort of walk through and continue to make that an issue. Let's not forget that forget rather that uh, Bailey got Trump's endorsement Correct. down at, down in uh, the Quincy area right before the primary too, and uh, that um, was one that he collected with Mary uh, Miller, and and it was just uh, something that riled up the base, uh, the base of people who are more uh, showing an allegiance to Trump than they are to the Republican Party. And let's just keep talking about the Republicans here at the state fair. What was their message? Well, um, like Heather said, it was really split. Um, uh, One was, let's go out and beat the Democrats. One was, let's go out and beat Pritzker. Let's fire Pritzker, et cetera, et cetera. But um, they also had a lot of these cautionary notes because of the lightning rod type of positions that Darren Bailey is taking. The hard right positions are not playing uh, well uh, 
all over the state. Obviously, they're not going to play well in Democratic Chicago, but the question is whether some of the kind of moderate voters in the suburbs will actually want to uh, get on board with Darren Bailey. And and it's not – the suburbs can be swing votes, and um, you can uh, see that it's going to be hard for – uh, suburban folks to be out there jumping on board a very hard right position or very hard right uh, candidate like Darren Bailey. Do you think some Republicans are going to stay home? You know, that's a great uh, question. Um, there is this tension, right, between the the folks who really want democracy to work and the um, right wing crowd that wants to blow it up in in many cases. And so you've got uh, Darren Bailey out there fitting more into that category where he is, uh, you know, ready to revolutionize the governor with a very conservative bent. But then you also have people who are saying, wait a second, we got to get back to the more mainstream Republicans of maybe not of our mothers and fathers, but something closer to that and more to the middle. Well, earlier this week, Bailey had a rally and he blamed the low turnout on high gas prices, Mm. although someone posted a picture of the gas prices and they were not as high as they had been. And that made me wonder, I mean, he won the primary, but how big is his base? I mean, is it, I mean, we know that Trump owns the Republican Party now, but... What? How do those numbers? It, we saw that in primaries, but what is it gonna? Are they gonna get shellacked in in November? Heather, what's your sense about how big Bailey's following is? I think that's the crucial question because I think Bailey and other people in sort of the far right of the Republican Party have long believed that if you campaign purely on these sort of social issues, including abortion, including being, quote unquote, tough on crime, that you can energize more people to come and turn out. I think that question is an open one. And there are a lot of Democrats who believe very seriously that the over the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade is going to activate particularly women in the suburbs who perhaps aren't normally as engaged but will now feel motivated to vote. And they're not going to vote for somebody like Darren Bailey who likens abortion to the horrors of the Holocaust. So they, the Illinois Republican Party right now is all in sort of on those social issues. And you're not really hearing a lot about the state's financial conditions. They might toss that in at the end, but it's certainly not a focus. And, you know, Darren Bailey certainly tried to keep a focus on Chicago's crime and violence program problem. And while it's certainly serious and severe, it, it, the fact of the matter is, is that it's less bad than it was last summer or even two years ago. And that complicates that issue as well, because it's really hard to motivate people to go to the polls saying that, you know, well, it's not as bad as it was, but maybe we can make it better. That's a complicated argument. To mm-hmm. me. All right, Sarah. Chicago Public School students are headed back on Monday. Uh, They used to start after Labor Day. Historically, forever and ever. Uh, I'm not happy about it. Neither. I am not. My my child is not either. (laughs) My child is happy. But um, do you think that people are going to show? I mean, CPS years ago, well, last year they started a week early. And then there was an era, maybe 10 years ago they started 
early and like nobody comes to school that week. <laughs> it's a really hard sell. And I mean, yesterday I was with um, Pedro Martinez, the head of CPS, and he's like, we're ready and everyone's energized and everything's great. And I'm like, well, I just keep my fingers crossed for you. I mean, they have <laughs> best, <laughs> best wishes. Best good luck. <laughs> well, I mean, they've been trying really to get, I mean, every marquee says, you know, August 22nd and but it's just this this mindset that people have. Um, and in fact, I, I hated to tell them this. That one marquee of one school I went by actually had the wrong date on there. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Do I call somebody <laughs> or do something? Well, well what, what is their reasoning for starting earlier? It's actually a fairly good reason. And that's it. When, when we started after Labor Day, what happened was that the end of the second semester, um, of the second quarter, like the end of the first semester, would end about a month after in, in February, like late January, early February, which was always sort of sucked for kids because, you know, especially high school kids, their finals, you know, you'd have to be sort of studying over Christmas break or have this like delayed time. And so that part of the reasoning was that if we start earlier, we can get 10 weeks in before Christmas break and then people can take their finals before Christmas break. And then you can go home for Christmas break and feel like, woohoo. I'm done, kind of like college kids. I guess that's a nice reason if you have high schoolers. Yeah. Um, so do you think this early start will be permanent? I think that, that if it can work, it will be. I mean, at least um, Pedro Martinez is very, you know, he's very committed to it. And, you know, truthfully, high school teachers thought that it would be a good idea, you know, to, to do that, to get those finals in before um, Christmas break so or winter break. So I think that if they can do it, they will start earlier. And, you know, next summer it won't be so bad. I mean, the thing that was so bad about this summer is Our that summer we, was so short. Right, right, yeah, right. We I ended feel early and then we, you know, then we start early. I mean, we ended late, ended late and yeah. start early. And next year at least we'll – the the end date is like very early June. So It's we'll, not that early. It's like June it's not June first. I think yeah. if Pedro Martinez is listening, that <laughs> summer break should, school, school should be out from Memorial Day to Labor Day. That's okay. We'll, we'll tell him. We'll send, we'll send him that memo. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's dying to hear I, it. I imagine city officials are praying for a cool late summer and early fall because the issue is going to be what happens in those schools that don't have air conditioning, and you know that it can be brutally hot in mid-September, even. Late Late September. I mean, even who knows, given climate change. And that is potentially a real situation, because if you've already had kids in school for so long, you know, you'd have to stop. And, and, and that could be a really serious situation. So, you know, we've heard from the Chicago Teachers Union that if they want to do this, that, you know, you got to do this. But you also have to look at the number of schools that don't have air conditioning. Yeah. Yeah, Traditionally, sure. hasn't Chicago started later than most of the other school yeah. districts? Well, yeah. after Labor Day. But but also, you know, a lot of other big cities started after Labor Day. And it, it kind of made sense, um, I think, when people used to harvest. I realize that my line of thinking is like a far, it, it's outdated, but that, that's just the, no, the summer, I, the summer in me. I'm with you. Uh, sticking with Chicago Public Schools for a second, Sarah, what is happening with CPS and Chicago Teachers Union? It looks like they are going, that the Teachers Union is nearing an agreement over COVID safety, which if you remember last year, we went into the school year without a COVID safety agreement. And then that kind of erupted in January when the teachers said that we aren't going to go in and teach in person until there's a 
safety agreement and students wound up being out of school for five days. Um, and those days were never made up. So there and there was a lot of tension through the school year. So this actually is, a, is really good news. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a different context this year. So, you know, COVID safety of last year and the year before obviously is, you know, way different. But um, they were able to come to terms. So that's good. And so what are those terms? Will school get out? Are masks optional or mandatory? So it, there is a peeling back of some of the things that, that were in place last year. Masking is still strongly encouraged, but optional. However, if you are in, if your child's in a class where a, a, a student tests positive, he or she will have to wear a mask for 10 days. And um, the person who's positive They'll have to, you know, go home for five days, stay home for at least five days. And then when they come back, they'll have to continue wearing a mask for another five days. So there are times when masking will be mandatory. I think the biggest change this year is that kids um, who are close contacts of somebody who tests positive will not have to quarantine. So this year they can continue going to school and um, they'll have to mask, as I just said, but they won't have to stay home. So this is, you know, the idea is, first of all, the, the CDC said that, that, you know, staying home is quarantining is not necessary for close contact. So this is sort of in line with that. But also, you know, the, there's a lot of emphasis this year on just keeping kids in school and you know, not having as many disruptions. And a lot of parents are concerned about monkeypox. What's the Illinois Public Health Department saying? Is CPS saying anything about it? You know, everything I've heard is we're still trying to figure out how what we're going to do and what are sort of the guidelines around around that. I mean, it's it's so new, and I think that they're just praying that, that there's not an outbreak in schools. But I was listening to um, the head of the Chicago Department of Public Health, Allison Arwadi, and she was saying like that they are trying to develop some protocols around monkeypox. So it's in schools, so it's on their minds. They just need to sort of, you know, get get there and get their heads around it. On Wednesday, CEO of CPS, Pedro Martinez, laid out his three-year vision. Can you summarize what those priorities are? You know, m- much of it is, is, pretty, is pretty broad, like operational excellence. So basically, we want to have a well-run school district, right, <laughs> which is a good, good idea. Um, but I'd say some of the more specifics that he talked about that, w- that were interesting is He's he's talking a lot about um, career and technical education and this idea of having more students start um, training for career and technical jobs in high school and getting certificates like city college certificates so that they're ready to go out into, you know, careers right after high school or, you know, maybe more prepared for careers once they go to college. So that's that's a very big thing. And you know, we've had different moments over the last, I'm sure since Chicago Public Schools has started, where there's, you know, technical education has been kind of the focus, but it's been a couple of years since that's really been a focus in CPS. So I think we're going to see that, you know, come online this year. So we talked about the state fair. We talked about CPS. There's been a lot of news going on this week on other topics. Let's take a listen. Without any debate, Highland Park City Council voted to try and take one more step to make assault weapons illegal. The Sky and the Liberty face off Saturday for Game 2 at Wintrust Arena tip-off at 11 in the morning. Federal government is giving the CTA $29 million to help upgrade the city's fleet to all electric buses. Day 3 of R. Kelly's federal trial is heating up. Prosecutors immediately detailing what they called R. Kelly's hidden side, a dark side. 
We are in week one of R. Kelly's federal trial here in Chicago. Heather, can you update us on how this first week went? Well, um, it was really sort of a stunning week in court because um, testifying under a pseudonym, the then 14-year-old who was the subject of R. Kelly's first federal trial in Chicago, at which she did not testify, she testified in saying that the R&B and pop superstar abused her hundreds of times when she was underage and unable to consent to sexual activity. And for those of us who have, you know, grew up in Chicago and sort of lived through through that first trial, it was really just a, a almost full circle moment that began when uh, a videotape of those those of that sexual abuse was was leaked essentially to the Chicago Sun Sun Times and and Jim DeRogatis. And the fact that R. Kelly is now sort of facing those accusations and his uh, accuser is. You know, I think a moment that a lot of people, myself included, never thought we would happen. Now, he's already been convicted on other federal charges in Brooklyn, and this is sort of, you know, his second time facing a jury, and he could face another very lengthy prison sentence if convicted. I covered the trial in 2008 here in Chicago. It was at the Cook County Criminal Courthouse, and it wasn't a surprise that he got off because there was no victim. We saw... A video, but the woman nor her family um, testified that that was her. So it has been this full circle moment and hearing her say she was tired of of his lies. And it seemed clear that, she, that the family was paid off. The father had been, um, I think, in the band with R. Kelly. Right. And um, I just have to think that maybe the surviving R. Kelly movement, the Me Too movement, got her to say, I... I've had enough and I'm going to speak out. I I took a deep breath when she when I realized that this happened when she was 14 and she's 37 now. Yeah. Like she has lived her entire adult life sort of under the the shadow of of this, you know, uh, uh, of this whole situation and I can't imagine how difficult it was for her and I guess I'm putting myself in her shoes now but to know that that other girls and other women suffered the same abuse that she suffered after he was acquitted I imagine was was deeply painful and I wonder if that didn't have sort of some impact on her decision to finally come forward also I it's probably worth mentioning that right now I think is where we're talking, she's being cross-examined by R. Kelly's lawyers now. And I imagine that that also is a deeply painful and difficult process to sort of to be asked about that. And they're showing actually the child pornography tapes in a closed courtroom um, this today. It's just one of those those cases that I think it had such a deep impact, you know, on Chicago, on its culture and sort of the whole music industry and and, and show business. It was very difficult reading her testimony in, yeah. in the papers today. Uh, we'll take a detour now to Northwest Suburban Park Ridge, where a Chicago police sergeant has been charged with aggravated battery involving a local teen. Heather, what are the details there? Well, this is a little bit uh, close to home for me. I live in Park Ridge. This happened outside the Starbucks that I go to far too often. And essentially what happened was is that this Chicago police sergeant thought that his son's bike had been stolen and he thought that that another 14-year-old boy had done it. And he detained him by 
pushing him off his bike and putting him on the ground and putting his knee on his back. And um, at the time, he was with friends, and his friends recorded this this altercation. And uh, this Chicago police sergeant has now been stripped of his police powers and charged with a crime, which is very, very unusual. You do not often see police officers charged with crimes. But um, this was a topic of huge conversation in Park Ridge, um, especially because the boy who um, had this altercation is Puerto Rican, and Park Ridge is is not diverse. It, that is, to put it at a bare minimum. And the fact that this Chicago police officer outside of Chicago felt it appropriate to detain this teen of color um, when he, you know, was just one of many people, sto- you know, standing around this stolen bike, I think was a real shock to a lot of people in Park Ridge, myself included, um, because, you know, Park Ridge is one of those suburbs that likes to think of itself as the city, but not really the city and sort of immune from this sort of violence. And this was, I think, a real wake up call for people. Another story on our radar this week, the Chicago Transit Authority says it will use part of a 29 29- million dollar federal grant to purchase electric buses. Heather, um, what is happening with that and what else are they spending the money on? Well, the idea is is that the, the city has essentially pledged to reduce its carbon footprint significantly over the next 10 to 15 years. And part of the way the city sees that as a possibility is to reduce those buses on the road that spew diesel fumes and replace them with electric buses. So it's not sort of an easy swap out. Like I could turn in my pickup truck and buy an electric vehicle and that's sort of the end of it. The city has to have the infrastructure to service those buses and to charge those buses and that's what's happening with this grant. It will be used to retrofit the CTA garage in Humboldt Park to allow them to sort of start electrifying the the fleet of CTA buses. This has been a huge priority for the mayor and the CTA leadership and I think there's going to be a good deal of federal funds available through the, the the bipartisan bill that just passed that will help fund those down the road. But it's the, the start, essentially, of a very long process. The Sun-Times had an editorial today saying, yeah, you have these electric buses that are coming, but crime has to be the focus. I was like, well, yeah, um, but also... Can we not walk the, and chew gum? The, right, right, right. the climate environment. Uh, Ray, have you been following what's happening with the CTA? Well, I think uh, you're right there with the whole idea that we don't have to have just lineal thinking here. We can do more than than one thing. And Chicago is a big city, and you have to do more than one thing at one time. So I, I, I think that this is a, a small step toward trying to uh, fulfill what the mayor is trying to do, which is to get pollutants out of the air. I'm really surprised that we have not heard loud rumbling in the studio here at Navy (laughs) Pier because the Blue Angels are back for the air and water show. Are any of you headed to the lakefront this weekend with the other two million people expected to come? I'm heading away from the big yeah, right, right. <laughs> If you follow me on Twitter, you know for many years this is my least favorite weekend. Um, I'm not a Blue Angels uh, air show enjoyer. Yeah, I saw somebody on Twitter actually say defund the air show. So, you know, they were trying to pick up on uh, one of the uh, phrases like defund the police. Well, how about defunding the air show? Um it uh, is uh, a nightmare for a lot of animals, too. And, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, there are 
incredible feats that these uh, fighters, fighter pilots do. And uh, I can understand all the the incredible uh, show, but uh, I'm not a big fan myself either. Well, speaking of a packed lakefront, we've had two tragedies in what's known as the playpen area of Lake Michigan. And that's a party area just north of Navy Pier where boats anchor, people swim. I did not know what the playpen was (laughs) until the pandemic when Mayor Lori Lightfoot tried to shut it down. I was like, what is the... (laughs) I am am not the the target demographic, (laughs) clearly. Um, Ray, what's been happening? Well, it's an area that uh, you have where a lot of people get together on on a lot of different sizes of boats, and they throw out rafts, and they float around, and they chain the boats together, and they have like an Aleutian Island effect uh, where they are just trying to party on and have a good time. The problem is that uh, you can't forget you're in the water, and um, unfortunately there have been some some uh, bad uh results here uh, in the last few days. There was one uh, uh, pair of women uh, who got caught up in uh, an accident where a larger boat uh, was backing up and its propellers uh, uh, injured, uh, particularly one woman, uh, very badly. She lost uh, both of her legs uh, below the knees at some level, uh, obviously a life-changing situation. The other person was injured, too. We've had um, um, people fall off of boats and drown, and uh, their bodies have, uh, one is, at least one has been recovered from one incident. Another one, uh, last time I checked, it could be updated, though, uh, was still unfound, which means that all these boats out in the water this weekend might want to keep their eye out, too, to see if uh, one of somebody's loved ones is out there. And then there was another incident where somebody apparently uh, fell off of uh, the uh, area where Diversity Harbor is, and um, that person was recovered, uh, also having drowned. We had uh, a Chicago person uh, uh, drown uh, in Whiting, Indiana, too. So this is one of those things where you've got to remember that uh, Lake Michigan can be fun, but it can also be very dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sarah, the Chicago Sky are trying to win a back-to-back NBA, uh, WNBA championship. Are you going to be watching? Yes, and I'm so, I was so excited last year, and it was such a thrill. And now... This year, yeah, uh, two nights ago, I was watching and was so sad when they lost. But, um, you know, I do think it's it's so great. It's great for women's sports. Um, you know, it's it's Chicago has not won two championships since probably the Bulls uh, yeah. back in the, yeah. you yeah. know, back in when, when we were young. And uh, it would be great. But. It is so so um, nerve wracking that they that it's just uh, the best of three games in the first series, mm-hmm. which is like okay. So tomorrow's do or die. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what you'll be doing instead of going to the air and water show. Yes, I will be, I will right. be watching. These are these are winners though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're they're tough. They're yeah. tough, and I I think they'll pull it through. 
Well, that's WBEZ's education reporter, Sarah Karp. And we've also had WTTW's Chicago politics reporter, Heather Sharon, and Chicago Tribune investigative reporter, Ray Long. Thank you for joining us and have a good weekend not being down at the <laughs> lake. Yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> Still, it's a good show. Today's weekly news recap was produced by Andrea Guthman and mixed by Ethan Schwab. Subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date on the news. And we love hearing from you. So be sure to leave a review and rating. I'm Natalie Moore. Thanks for listening. Back with more tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.